a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Back in the summer of 1966, I went on a summer mission trip with Arctic Missions up at Alaska working at the Arctic Training Center. It was a high school and Bible school for Native students. Right next to the school was Victory Bible Camp, run by the same mission. And uh, I decided to go back the next summer to work the same kind of work that I had done the previous summer, construction work and so forth. I had, had a great time at it, but about two months before I was supposed to go to Alaska, I received a letter from the mission director. And he said, we're, we're glad that you're coming, but what we really need is somebody to counsel at camp. We're short of men counselors, so would you consider being a camp counselor rather than working at the school? He said, I know you enjoyed that experience, but uh, we, we could really use you some, as a counselor. And I wrote back to him, and I said, it doesn't matter to me. What, whatever has to be done, I, I'm available, so I'm willing to do it. And, and, uh, and so uh, I, when we got there, I got there about three weeks early, where got involved in the construction work, and then the director shows up. And he said, we weren't able to find anybody, so you're on for the summer as a camp counselor. Well, that was okay. It wasn't my first choice, but that, that, that was okay. One of the benefits of working at the camp was the camp is located on the, at the base of a mountain, beautiful mountain area. It's, there's a, a small lake right on the edge of the property there. And if you're working at the camp, you could take the canoes out and you could explore the lake and the area and a lot, lot of adventures. The only problem was this uh, one that they had pointed as lifeguard happened to uh, set up the rules that you couldn't take a canoe out by yourself unless you passed the swimming test. And, and uh, you, you could go out with somebody else that had passed the swimming test as long as you wore a life jacket, but you couldn't go out alone in a canoe without a swimming test. And so... We're in the midst of orientation, getting ready for the first camp, and I, uh, Ginger was the one that was going to be the lifeguard. She announces that if you wanted to pass the life test, come down that afternoon. She was setting up the waterfront. And so I go down, and there's only two problems with this. Uh, number one, I'm not a very good swimmer. I, I, I can make it from point A to point B, but don't ask me to stop in between or any, any of those fancy things. I can't do it. Never had a swimming lesson in my life, so... Uh, I'm not sure that I can pass this test. And then the second problem was just five miles up the road from the camp was Matanuska Glacier. So that kind of gives you an idea what the water's like. <laughs> it's all fed by the, the melting ice and snow, and I hate cold water. There's nothing worse than cold water, but I'm determined. I'm going to do this because I, I want to go out in the canoes. And so I go down, and it was Ginger on the dock, and a, a missionary lady from the school was there, and they were talking. They were deep in conversation, and I said, well, I've come to, to, to take the test. And, and she said, okay, uh, 
What you have to do is you have to swim from this dock and across a little ways was another dock. You swim over there, touch the dock, turn around, and come back. If you can do that, you pass the test. And I look at that, and I think, okay, got it made. I can do that much. I hated to get into the water, but you had to do it if you're going to pass the test. So I get into this ice-cold water. I swim over to the other dock, turn around, come back, and I think, I'm done for the year. I'm not going in this lake again. I'm just getting ready to climb out when the two of them stopped me and they said, we need some help. Would you, would you help us? Now, when the prettiest girl in camp is asking for help, you, you don't say no right off the bat. And so I said, well, what, what do I have to do? And she, we found out that Ginger had taken a life-saving course at Multnomah when she was, was there. And for one reason or another had missed the final exam. So she didn't get the official signature on the certificate. The, the lady that was there with her that was helping set up the waterfront happened to be a lifeguard instructor. And she said, if, if she can pass the test, I can write it off and everything's fine for the summer there. So I said, okay, what do I got to do? And they said, well, we want you to swim halfway over to the other dock and Ginger's going to come in and she's going to save you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what to expect, uh, but I... I couldn't say no at that point, so I said, okay. And away I go. I'm, I'm halfway across. I hear somebody dive in behind me. The next thing I know, she surfaces behind me, and before I have a chance to react, she has a stranglehold on me. <laughs> and, and she's taking me backwards to the first dock, and I'm thinking, we're supposed to be going to the, the other dock. And she's taking me back there. And at that point in time, I lost it. I was sure that they had a plot hatched up that they were going to drown me out there in, in the lake. I did everything I knew how to do to break that stranglehold that she had on. I, I fought all the way back to that dock. I, I knew I, I was about to die. <laughs> and I kept thinking, if I can just get free, I can save myself. I, I don't need her to save me. I can save myself. We wind up at the dock, and uh, the instructor said, hey, that was great. I, I, I appreciate the fact that you made it look realistic. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't tell her, and I didn't, I didn't tell Ginger probably till about three years later, after we were married, that I wasn't putting on a, an act. <laughs> I, I was fighting for my life out there. Uh, she passed her test. She got signed off, but uh, I decided... I'm never going back in that lake again. <laughs> I'm not, not going to do that again. Now, now, you know, when all of this was going on, intellectually, I knew that she could save me. She had taken the course. She had demonstrated that over and over throughout the course. I had no reason to doubt that she hadn't done the work. And yet it just didn't get down to my heart. I just, even though intellectually I knew this, this was possible, uh, I, I didn't know what to expect, and I thought for sure I was going to be drowned in that experience. You ever do that with God? We know, and that's why I asked about Emmanuel just a few minutes ago, we know that God is with us. And yet what happens in the middle of the night when the phone rings? You get that stab of fear, you... you you think things are falling apart, or, or maybe it's when you walk into the doctor's office and uh, the doctor says, well, I have to tell you this. 
And suddenly you imagine the worst. Is God with you in that moment? Yeah, he is, but we, we tend to forget that, don't we? Or maybe we get a pink slip at, on the job, or, or, or maybe it's one of those times when we pray and we pray, and, and it just seems as if, if God is silent. Where is our faith in those moments? What does it rest on? What is the foundation of our faith? As I think about that, I, I find the, the faith of Job remarkable. Remember, Job lost all of his possessions, or most of his possessions. He, he lost his ten children. He was covered from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet with boils and, and didn't know what the future held or what was going to happen there. And on one occasion, as he's defending his faith, he said, I know. Deep down in my heart, I know my Redeemer lives. And he said, even if worms eat up my flesh, he said, I know that someday in my flesh I shall see God. What a remarkable testimony of faith that was. He wasn't saying, if if God does it my way, I'm going to trust in him. He's saying, God, I believe, no matter what happens, I believe that you're with me, that you're in control. What did his faith rest on? What what does our faith rest on today? Peter reveals that in the introduction to the book here. Peter uses two, two key words in first, Second Peter. The first word is faith. The second word is knowledge there. The word knowledge is used 13 times between verse 2 here and the, the end of the book, chapter 3, verse 18. The word knowledge speaks of more than just a, an intellectual knowledge. In, in that lake, I had an intellectual knowledge. I, I knew that she had taken the course, or I believed that she had taken the course. Uh, uh, I, I believed that she knew how to save somebody, but I needed something a little bit more than that. And that's the, the word that he uses here, speaks of a knowledge that uh, the, the word implies a living partnership or a participation together with somebody. This is what Jesus had in mind in John chapter 17 when he said, this is eternal life, that they what? That they know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou sent. It, it, it's not just a head knowledge there. It's We've entered into a personal relationship with him. Daniel, years before that, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, said, great strength have they who know their God. Our faith rests not on ourselves. It rests on the Almighty God, the one who Jeremiah or Ezekiel, Jeremiah said, nothing is impossible with him. Peter was writing to contend with the false teachers, to those that came with a word, supposedly a word of knowledge, but wasn't consistent with the word of God. Those who claimed to have special revelation or special experiences. Notice Peter comes to them as a bondservant and an apostle here. He uses both words again here. But the, the remarkable thing in verse 1 is he says, the ones he's writing to has received a faith of the same kind as Peter's. Think of that for a minute. Peter is the disciple. Remember, they're out in the middle of the lake in the, mid, in the storm, and Jesus comes walking up to their boat on the lake. Peter's the one that says, you know what? If you're really the Son of God, command me to walk on water to come to you. How many of you would have done that? Man, think of that. You get out of that boat and, and, 
I, I know Peter fell in the process, but uh, you got to give him credit. He got out there and he started walking across that water. He believed, if this was the Son of God, he believed that he could give him the power to walk on that water. This is the individual who stood before the Sanhedrin, the very ones that had condemned Jesus to death. And they said, we don't want you teaching in the name of Jesus. As a matter of fact, you're going to get in serious trouble if you do. And he knew he could either be put in prison or be put to death for proclaiming Jesus Christ. What did he do? He went out and proclaimed Jesus Christ. And as he's brought for trial before them, he said, you know, you judge here. Should I obey you or should I obey God? wonder how many of us would have been silent. Okay, they don't want me to preach. They don't want me to share. So I'm not going to get in trouble. I'm going to just keep my mouth shut here. No. And yet Peter turns around and says, your faith is the same kind as mine. The word same that he uses here literally means it's equal in value. It's just as important before God as Peter's faith was. Now, do we have to walk on water to prove that? No, I don't think so. Uh, the, the, what he's saying here is there's no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. We all come by faith. We all accept Jesus Christ based on, on, on faith. And, and as we do so, we are brought into the family of God. We don't have to walk on water to prove that. We, we, are, we have the same kind of faith that, that Peter had. And that faith, the basis of that faith, there's three thoughts here. It first of all rests on the person of Jesus Christ. Now faith is only as good as the object in which it was placed. I, I came up here and I had faith that that chair behind me would hold me up. I've been on it before. I, 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 I know it's a good chair. I didn't know whether somebody came and with a hacksaw and cut through the legs or not, though. I just assumed that that's a good chair, and I sat down on it, and I wasn't disappointed. Now, I don't want to give anybody any ideas there. I'll have to check it next week now that I said that. But it, it, the faith was good because the object was good. And notice what he says here about the person of Christ here. He is, first of all, God. Our God now is what he's stressing here. He's stressing his deity here when he, when he says uh, the righteousness of our God, Jesus Christ here. He's not just a good man. He's not just an example for us to follow. He is the Son of God. And as Jeremiah said in Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen, there is nothing too difficult for God. Do we believe that? We, we, we can glibly sing Emmanuel. But in the midst of the hardship and the trial, do we believe he is able to do exceeding abundantly above what we could ask or think? Do we really believe that he is God today? John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus makes it clear to us. He said, without me, you can do nothing. That's not very complimentary, but it's true. In, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, though, he says, I can do all things. How? Through Christ who strengthens me. Emmanuel. God is with us. He is God today. And because he is God, Hebrews chapter 4 says in verses 15 and 16, we have the privilege of coming boldly to the throne of grace to bring our needs, to bring our requests, to, uh, to, to bring those situations to him today. And he is able to help. Why? Because he is God. He is also 
The second thing he says here about the person of Christ, that he is also our Savior. The word Savior was a common term in those days. It, it literally means to bring salvation or to deliver from something. Uh, I, I don't want to give Dr. Donna swollen head here, but uh, doctors in that day were called saviors. <laughs> uh, if, if they delivered somebody from or relieved the pain and, and the suffering, they, they were considered a savior. A, a general who led a victorious army, when they w- would return victorious, they would pronounce the savior of the nation because they had saved them. They had delivered the nation from, from the foreign enemy there. A, a, a wise government official, and that's not an oxymoron, there are some. Uh, a, a wise government official that could deliver the nation from confusion and chaos was considered a savior. We could use a few of those today, couldn't we? In, in our society there. <laughs> Jesus Christ did all of that and more for us. Think of that. He is the ultimate savior today. In, in this passage, he speaks of the fact that he brought us righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that what? We may be made the righteousness of God in him. He saved us from the power of sin. He, he made us righteous individuals today. Uh, he brought us grace. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. John 1.16 and 17 there. Uh, the word became flesh. He dwelt amongst us. We beheld his glory there. He brought to us truth and grace. And we can celebrate that fact of his grace today. He also speaks of the fact here in verse 2, not only of grace, but of peace. Romans chapter 5, 1 says, being justified by what? By faith, we have peace with God. The enmity is gone. We, we are at peace with God. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our Savior. We can enjoy all three of those blessings today. Because he came as our savior and our faith rests not on our ability and our power on our, what we can do, but it rests on him today. And then the second thing that our faith rests on is not only the person of Christ, our savior and our God here, but on the power of Christ. What does that do for us? What, what does the power of God do in our lives? Notice he says it grants us everything that we need here. For, for godly living, everything we need pertaining to life and so forth. The life comes in John 1, 12, where he said, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become, what? Children of God. We're born into the family of God. In Romans 1, 16, Paul cries out, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. He, he has brought all of that into our lives. What is he saying in that when, when, when he speaks here of uh, having everything pertaining to life and godliness? He's saying that there is nothing that we need to add to Jesus Christ. We don't need a special gift. We, we don't need a special experience. We have all that we need in the person of Jesus Christ. He has done it all for us. That's why on the cross he could cry out, it is finished. The, the work of redemption was done in that moment for us. The price was paid. And when he rose from the dead, it was applied to our account. We see a parallel to that in Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, he 
created Adam and Eve. He breathed into Adam and Eve, Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we become a living being as well. We have eternal life. He has granted us e- eternal life there. Someone has said, well, why don't we worship on Saturday like uh, uh, others do there? Well, Saturday has its place. It was the Sabbath day. It was the day of rest. What were they resting from? Or it, They were celebrating the fact that on the seventh day, God rested. He ceased his work of creation. He rested from the work of creation. Why do we celebrate on Sunday? Because it was on Sunday that God rested from the work of redemption. The work was finished the moment Jesus Christ stepped out of the grave. It was applied to our account in glory. And the work was finished for us. I, I remember years ago hearing a, of a street evangelist who was out on the street proclaiming Christ. And there was a heckler there. And uh, Finally, the heckler got closer and closer and more dis- disruptive. And, and in a sneering voice, he said to the evangelist, what must I do to be saved? He evidently knew some of the scripture there. And for some reason, the evangelist turned and looked him right in the eye, and he said, I'm sorry, sir, it's too late. And suddenly, he was sober, and he said, what what do you mean it's too late? He said, it's too late, you can't do anything. Jesus Christ did it all. Hmm. That that ended the heckling for, for, for a time anyhow, but it's true. He has begun a work in us, Philippians 1, 6 says, and he's going to continue it until the day we're home with Christ in glory. It's his work. It, it, it's not faith plus works. It's, it's his work that we rest in today. And then our faith rests here on the promises of Christ as well. I love how he describes the promises, and we'll come back to, to this a little bit next time, but uh, after you've memorized it. Uh, notice how he describes them here. He said they're, first of all, precious. The word precious means that they have a far greater value than anything that the world has to offer. They are beyond price. They are some, these are promises that money cannot buy. Psalm 49, the psalmist uh, says, hey, what are you going to do to redeem your soul? You, you might as well give up. You might as well cease trying. You need... Jesus Christ, you, you, you need to trust him. You, you don't have enough money to pay for the salvation of your souls. But we have that precious promise today that we are saved because of the work of Jesus Christ. And then he said it's a magnificent problem. Why is it magnificent? The word that he uses there means a, a great as well. I think it's magnificent because we serve a great and mighty God today. I, I love Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 where he says, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above anything that you and I could ask or think. Just think of that for a minute. We, we can come with a, a lot of requests. We, we, can, we can plan a lot of things out and come and tell God how to do it. And God says, I've got something better in mind. i got something that you haven't even imagined yet. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Somebody reminded us of that a little while back when we started our second building program. 
we started the first building program. We didn't have enough money in the bank to complete it. But we had a God that did. And, and uh, each step of the way, God provided. Uh, are, are we going to see the work progress come springtime? Uh, we, we've got to pray for snow for a while, anyhow. We, we, we don't want to get started on that too soon. But I believe we have an, a, a magnificent God that's able to do exceeding abundantly above what we can ask or, or think. He, he's able to do that. What do these promises involve? What, what do they do for us here? Peter lists two blessings here. Because of his magnificent promises, we partake, first of all, of the divine nature. In other words, we partake of God's nature there. Think of that for a minute. Have you ever heard that expression, like father, like son? Years ago, there was an ad on TV. I don't know how many years ago, but it's been a long time because we haven't had TV since we've been here. But it, it was a, a father and a, a little son that were out washing the car. And uh, they, they finished the job. The father sat down beside a tree there, pulls out a pack of cigarettes, lights up a cigarette. And the son's hand reaches over for the pack of cigarettes. It, it was an anti-smoking uh, message that, that they had there. But where did that child learn that? Learned it from dad. Watching dad. If dad can do it, why can't I do it there? Like father, like son. And because of the new birth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, if we're in Christ, we are new creatures. He's not just offering us in that verse a hope for tomorrow. What he's saying is there is help for today. We have received that divine nature. We are being changed into the image of Jesus Christ. Our kids used to sing, when, when they were in high school and camp and so forth, they, they had a little song they sang, and I'm not familiar with all the words to it, but it's, it was entitled, He's Changing Me. And they had actions, they would act it out and so forth. But, you know, it captured that truth. He is changing us. We are being made into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, for some of us, it's taken a little bit longer than others. Uh, I don't know how many years he's been working on changing me, but uh, it Hopefully, I'm, I'm making progress there. Uh, I, I hope we can look at our life today and think, you know, I've grown in my walk with the Lord since this time last year or 10 years ago. Can, can, can we see that growth? Are, are we becoming more like Jesus Christ? Or are we making excuses there? Um, I think of the area of marriage. Uh, next week, I guess it is, we celebrate our 47th an anniversary. And, and uh, you know... One of the things I've observed in 47 years is, as time goes on, we become more like each other. Now, that's scary <laughs> to think that she's becoming like me. But, but uh, we, we've changed over the years. Why? Because we've come to know each other. And the same thing should be true of God. If you've been walking with God, you should be growing in your, your relationship with him. You should be partakers of that divine nature now. You should be, as Hebrews 10 suggests, drawing near. That's a tremendous privilege to come into the very holy of holies there in prayer and fellowship with God. We are partakers of the divine nature. And then he says we also here, the second benefit is we escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. No longer do we need to be defeated by sin. We can find victory through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrestled with that in Romans chapter 7. He said, you know, the things that I'd like to do, I, I don't do. And the things that I do, I don't want to do. And you can identify with that. You've all been through Romans chapter 7. And he, he comes to the end. He says, who's going to deliver me? And then he says, thanks be to God 
through Jesus Christ. He gives us the power. He gives us the strength. He, he helps us to escape the corruption that is out there. Uh, we can't do it ourselves, but he can. Someone has wisely said, when temptation comes knocking, let him answer the door. You don't have to give in to it. Let him answer the door there. First uh, Corinthians 10.13 assures us that the, the temptations that come are common to all men. He said, but God is faithful. He will, with the temptation, bring a way of escape there. We, we can find that way in Christ. And so as you think about all that he's saying here today, and I won't ask for a show of hands on this, but I wonder, have you been a little bit discouraged with some of the circumstances? Have you been a little bit frustrated with the political process and wondering what in the world's going to happen, what, what's going to take place in our nation? Have you struggled with some doubts, entertained some fears in your life? I, I think back to out there in that freezing cold lake in a stranglehold, uh, um, Praise the Lord, my wife was, wasn't my wife then, but she was a little more stubborn than I was. <laughs> she got me out of that situation. But, you know, I, I think back on that, and I have to come to the conclusion that in that moment, I was in better hands than my own. She knew far better what to do and how to do it. I didn't have a clue, and I didn't even know for sure if I'd make it across another time, but... Uh, I was in far better hands than I realized. And I think the same is true today. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28, that he holds us in the palm of his hand. And he says, no one, absolutely no one is able to take us out of the palm of his hand. We're secure today because he's holding on to us. I, I wasn't secure in that lake because I could swim. I wasn't secure because I, was, I wasn't even holding on to her. I was trying my hardest to get away. I was secure because she was holding on to me. And the same thing is true today. As we walk through the trials of life, he walks through them with us. So much so that Paul, in Romans chapter 8, can come down to that conclusion in verse 38. What can separate us from the love of God? He said, there's absolutely nothing out there that's ever going to separate you from the love of God. He gives a whole long list there. What does your faith rest on today? Does it rest on your feelings? Does it rest on the answers that you receive to prayer? What if, like Job, you find yourself sitting out there on the ash heap, scraping yourself with a piece of broken pottery just to get some relief from the pain? Could you sit there and say, I know my Redeemer lives. I know he's in control. I don't understand how this is going to play out, but I believe he is in charge, and I'm going to walk through it together with him. God never gave him an explanation. God never told him what was going to happen, but uh, he believed that God was able. Psalm 46, verse 1, sums it up for us. As we think of the person of Christ and his power and his promises, in Psalm 46, he said, God is a very present help in time of need. Do you have some needs? Do you have some struggles that you're going through? Do you have some difficult circumstances that, that you have crept into your life? Why don't you commit them to the one that's able to deal with them? Why don't you give them to him and let him do what he wants in that situation? As a matter of fact, you go on in the rest of that Psalm, Psalm 46, you come down to verse 1. And that's, that's where the difficult part comes. He says, 
be still and know that I am God. Sit back and let God do what he wants to do in your life. Do you have one of those situations? Well, maybe you're saying, Lord, I can't go through this. And God is saying, you can, because I'm with you. We'll go through it together. Are you, are you able to turn that situation over to him and then just step back and say, okay, Lord, it's yours. You do what you want and how you want it. Years ago, I cut a clipping out of a magazine. I don't know anything about the author. Her name is Barbara Winter. I'll give her that much credit, but I can't tell you anything about it, about her. But she wrote these words. When you come to the edge of all the light you know, and are about to step off into the darkness of the unknown, faith is knowing one of two things will happen. There will be enough solid ground to stand on, or you'll be taught how to fly. (laughs) Think of that. What can happen? Either God's going to see us through the trial, or we're going to be taught how to fly. We're going to be home with him in glory. Maybe that'd be better. So uh, faith is believing that even though we don't understand it, even though we don't know how he's going to work it out, we believe that God does. And we are going to be still and let him be God in our lives. Do you have that kind of faith? Are you demonstrating that kind of faith today? Let's pray. Father, we rejoice today in the magnificent promises We rejoice in the promise that you have said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You haven't promised us a bed of roses. In this life, you said there's going to be tribulation. There's going to be trials. There'll be tests that come our way. You haven't promised us a life free of pain or heartache, but you've promised to be with us. And each step of the journey, we can know that you are our God. We can know that you are with us. We can know whether it's by life or by death. It doesn't matter as long as you're glorified. Give us the faith to believe that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing in closing, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. You ever stop to think, what did the shepherds think when suddenly the angels were there? Were they afraid for their life? They learned that there was a Savior that was born.
someone that doesn't know about.